Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Let us prepare our hearts as we turn towards their scripture this morning. Scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. Let us read along together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things held together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was reconciled to himself. I'm sorry, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled to his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before God, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a minister of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its minister according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. May God bless our reading of this holy scripture. Amen. You pray with me. God, we thank you for this letter written so long ago to the believers at Colossae. As we dive into this scripture, we ask that you write on our hearts what you would have us here today so that we might know you deeper, we might love you deeper, and that we might reflect the light of Jesus Christ in all that we do. Amen. We don't have plumbing at Deer Camp. It's, it's a true story. We do not have plumbing at Deer Camp. We did get electricity about 15 years ago. So we're, we're moving in a progressive manner. But we don't have plumbing at Deer Camp. But we do have a well. A fresh well. And it's so neat. It's got this really little hole in the ground. It has a little pulley system on top. It has this very long tube that drops through the hole. It's kind of neat. You just let it drop and you wait for it to hit. You don't know it actually hits the water until you hear bloop, 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 bloop. 
And that's when it begins to fill up and it becomes heavy. And it's like fishing at that point. There's a little tug on it and you know it's time to crank up the, well, the, the bucket and pull up the water. And the water is so fresh and it's so good. It tastes so much better than city water. Um, it's refreshing and it's cold. It's so cold that we have to heat it up over a fire before we do our nightly washing. We use this on and on and day in and day out. And over time... We decided that it was a little bit of a hassle. And so we would bring our own canisters of water from home. We kind of left the well and the bucket alone, kind of forgot about it. Well, one day we decided we had a work day during the summer, and we're like, you know what would be really good? Some of that fresh well water. And so we went out to the well water, and before we even got near it, there was a horrible, horrible smell. See, we had forgotten to release or to let go of the release valve of the bucket before we left the well alone. And so the water had sat. And everything that gives life to that water, all the oxygen was depleted. And so from that, just things just became nasty. Things, just bacteria, algae grew, and it began to give off this horrible stench. And we knew we had access to this wonderful, wonderful, cool water. But it would take a lot of work to remove all the things from the stagnant bucket. Over the next few weeks, we are studying the epistle, or this letter to the believers at Colossae. Now, Paul is in prison, and he's writing to a group of believers that he hasn't met, but he's heard about them. And so in writing this letter, um, Paul does some interesting things. He does his normal salutations, and then he goes right into the very heart of, of this letter. And Paul will refer back to this heart over and over throughout the letter. Paul starts to explain to the believers at Colossae his position of Christology and anthropology. Those are big words for Paul was writing about who he believed Christ is, what he believed Christ did, and how that related to humankind. Who believe he believed Christ is, what he believed Christ did, and how that is related to humankind. This segment is broken up into three sections, and we're going to work through this together uh, pretty quickly this morning. First is the Messiah poem. Second is the believers at Colossae, their experience with Jesus and their understanding of Jesus and Paul's uh, ideal of Christology within them. And then Paul's own experience in prison. Paul's own experience in prison. You have a little worksheet before you, so this is kind of like a Bible study uh, during this month as we look through this epistle. I invite you to take notes, follow along if you so choose. So we're going to start with the Messiah poem. Something to know about uh, this Messiah poem is that, like any good literature, scholars have looked at ways to uh, find out if there's a writing pattern or a way to break this apart or how this was actually uh, composed. And for for our uh, study today, we're going to look at it as in two stanzas as marked on the board. We're going to look at it in two stanzas as we go through this particular piece. But something to know is that that Paul um, did not know that he was writing scriptures when he was writing the letter. Paul was writing a letter to the believers at Colossae. Now, we know a little bit about the background of Paul. They talked about that a little bit last week. Paul, previously named Saul, was a devout Jew. He was well-educated, probably on his way to become a rabbi. So Paul knew scripture, and the scripture that Paul knew is what we understand to be the Old Testament the Hebrew scripture. And so throughout this poem, Paul weaves in these concepts from Genesis 1, from Exodus 40, 
from Psalm 2, Psalm 6, Psalm 68, and Proverb 8. If you want to write those down, it's a good study to do on your own time. But what Paul is doing here is he's writing these descriptions of who God is while describing who Jesus is. He's using these descriptions of who God is while describing who Jesus is. And so here are some key phrases from the first stanza of this poem. That Jesus is the very image of God. That Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created. And all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus was before all things. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus shares in the identity of the one creator God, that Jesus is the author and king of creation, and this is what we call high Christology. Jesus is king. Just this past week, NASA released pictures from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. There's some beautiful pictures. If you haven't seen it, I invite you to go online, Google it. Some amazing things going here. At the top right of the screen, this is a, a, what looks like a mountains is actually a collection of dust. This is the beginning of stars developing. At the bottom left, you see multiple galaxies. In fact, at the very bottom right of the bottom left picture, there are two galaxies that are merging together, and scientists now can go and look and see the waves that are created from those two galaxies merging together. And the bottom right is the most uh, clear image that we have of the furthest part of the galaxies as we know it. This is a very nerdy moment for me. I'm hearing the, the Star Trek theme going on in my head when I'm watching this, right? But this is what Paul is saying is that Jesus took place. Jesus took part in the very breath that spoke these things into existence. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is creator. Jesus is king. On the second part of this stanza, here are our key phrases. That in Jesus... All things cohere, they come together. That Jesus is the head of the body, the church. That Jesus is the beginning. That Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That in Jesus, the very full presence of God dwells. That Jesus reconciles all things to himself. This is through Jesus' experience, partly and fully on the cross. Paul continues in talking about Jesus' work, Jesus' reconciling work. One phrase that really stuck out for me here is this firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. What in the world does that mean? Well, that means Jesus was raised from the dead. And if we've done our Bible studies, you might think, well, Pastor Chase, there's several people who were raised from the dead in the Bible. And in saying that, you would be right. But what Paul is saying is Jesus is the very first and the only one who was raised from the dead by his own power. Why? Because Jesus is not only king of all creation, Jesus is king of death and has defeated death. And through Jesus' work, he brought everything to cohere. He brought everything into a new creation, a reconciled creation. In reading this, we can thank Paul. This is some 
heavy and deep stuff, but it's really good stuff. Christ shares in the identity of the one creator God. Christ is author and king of all of creation, and through Christ's life, through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection, Christ founded reconciliation and brought about a new creation. This is what Paul will continue to refer to throughout the letter that he writes to the believers at Colossae. So what does this have to do with the believers at Colossae? So Paul presents this poem and his Christology, his relationship with anthropology, his understanding of the person and the work of Christ in relationship with humankind. And then Paul goes on to address the believers at Colossae's experience. He goes on to remind the believers at Colossae that they are a part of this poem, right? That Christ has reconciled them. That is the hope promised by the gospel, the hope that extends throughout the world, the hope that they have heard about. He reminds them that they were once distant, once separated from God, but because of what Christ did, they are presented now holy and blameless and irreproachable or faultless before God. And then we have this interesting phrase in the middle, what I like to call a transitional phrase. And it seems a little bit ambiguous when you first read it. Provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting. So I started asking myself, what does this mean? And how can we understand this a little bit deeper and so we did some old school research, some more nerdy stuff that we get to do as pastors, but you get to share in that with us today with me. We did some Greek research, right? Provided that, ege amenethe, what does this mean? Well, it translates directly to, if you remain, if indeed you remain. So you put those two together, if you indeed you remain securely in the established and steadfastness of faith without shifting. I was like, that's a little bit more clearer, but I need to do a little bit more work. So we went ahead and went through the whole Greek phrase of the second uh, pivotal sentence. I'm not going to try to pronounce all of that because I don't have my glasses on and I can't see that. But it translates directly to end the faith, having been founded and established and not moving from. In the faith, having been established Founded and established and not moving away from. In this direct translation, I think we find two powerful words. And I think we get a little bit of insight to um, Paul's cleverness, uh, Paul's artistry in his writing. These words are founded and established. Founded and established. First, founded is the basis of the beginning. Founded is the basis of of the beginning. We can think about building a house or building a building. What goes first? The foundation. Once the foundation is established, and then all the other parts to, can come into place, but the foundation is the basis of the beginning. Here's the word, the beginning, the beginning. Where have we heard this before? Well, in the poem, Paul said that Christ is the head of the church, and Christ is the beginning. The second word, established, is something that from the beginning grows to fruition over time. Something that from the beginning grows to fruition over time. So we can go back to this image of a building. Once we have the foundation in place, people gather material, they work together, there's hard work that is involved, and then a building comes together. Paul is saying to the believers at Colossae that you were once broken, 
But Jesus has set the foundation and Jesus has reconciled you. And if indeed, if you really, if you truly reside within the reconciliation that Jesus founded, you should remain there and you should participate in the growth of your faith. Jesus has set the foundation for your reconciliation and now your obligation is to be active and to participate and to grow in your faith as it is established. Paul opens his letter with a prayer for the believers. He says, I pray that you would grow. You would grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ. For Paul, being a reconciled people comes with an obligation, the obligation to participate in the establishment of their faith, the faith that was founded in Christ. Paul moves on to reflect on his own experience to kind of give light to what this work, what the outcome might look like. And so he goes through and he names that he has been a part of reconciling work, right? We know the story that Paul, once known as Saul, was met Jesus, was reconciled, and started to grow in his faith. Paul named that he understood his obligation to grow in his faith, and now in his faith, he was more established. And being more established, now he was in prison, yet he was rejoicing in the work that was before him for the sake of others. Specifically, work for others that weren't like him. You see, Paul was a Jew, and he was writing to the Gentiles. Paul said this is the imagery of new creation, that once we were separated from God, once we were separated from one another, but now in this new creation, we share in an identity, an identity that's founded in Jesus Christ, an identity that we grow together in, an identity that we proclaim the gospel At that deer camp, that old well, there was so much fresh water available, but the bucket remained stagnant. We left it there. We let it sit. We didn't utilize it. And what happened to the water is it became foul. And it took a lot of time to work on what we had messed up so that we could have access to that fresh water once again. Jesus, the King of all creation. Through his life, through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection, began something new. A reconciliation for all of creation. We are offered a faith founded by Jesus. Jesus invites us to be a part of something new, something that's life-giving, this new creation, this new heritage, to be a part of the body of Christ. And to be a part of the body of Christ, we still find that obligation to participate in faith. And Participation is not something that we can walk away from. Participation is not something that we can set aside and forget about. It's not something that was designed to sit and become stagnant, but participation in the body of Christ enables us to build, to grow, to establish our faith through the knowledge, through the wisdom and understanding of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Friends, when our faith begins to grow, it becomes to part, become a part of who we are, and as it grows and becomes a larger part of who we are, we can't help but share in the joy that Paul said he had in doing the work of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, of being the body of the Christ, to share the light of Christ wherever we go. 
Because like Paul told the believers at Colossae, Christ is in you. And that is something to be joyful about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Christ, we thank you for what you have done in our lives. We thank you that you, the creator of all things, would walk upon this small place, this small earth, to feel the grains of sand between your toes, to experience everything that we experience, breath and hunger and pain and death and suffering. And yet you are the king of all things, and you have defeated death. And you have called us to live into your reconciling work. By the power of your Holy Spirit, lead us to be faithful in our commitment to live into this life of faith that is founded in you, that we may grow closer to you, closer to one another, and share the light of Christ wherever we go. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.